What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. All right, what is up and welcome back to Zen Business. I am so stoked to have with me here today, Alan Howard, reporting live and direct from Medellin, Colombia. Alan is a, uh, how do I describe it? He's the male extraordinaire. He built a business, <laughs> sold it, moved down to Latin America, and has really been living the dream um, from everything that I can see. And uh, it's been a really impressive journey um, ever since we met a few years ago, Alan. So I'm excited to, to chat with you today and unpack some of it. And I'd love to go as deep as you're willing to go. You know, I'm definitely looking for, you know, more meaning and depth here. Um, so, that said, uh, welcome. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate you bringing me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Excited excited to chat as well. And uh, yeah, man, it's it, it's been a cool journey just traveling the world for the last six years, building businesses. I think that's the most fun part that I love is the new cultures, the new experiences, and and creating along the journey is cool. Yeah, you've definitely been a, a beacon of creation, you know, from creating a company to this new journey that you've been on with helping men, you know, realize their masculinity to just the content and everything. And uh, like I said, it's been really fascinating to watch. But one of the first questions I have for you was, what, what was it like building the company? Like, you know, what was the business? What was the model? How did you, yeah. you know, come into the exit and, you know, having this you know, multi-million dollar transaction. I mean, that's a big achievement. I'd love to like, just hear you, you know, rattle on about it a little bit. Cool. For sure. Yeah. So really the journey for me started actually more in my nine to five job. Um, back in 2014, I really had the idea that I wanted to, I wanted to leave my job. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to build businesses, but I think for a long time, I didn't really have the, I had the belief that I wasn't able to do that, or I didn't have the ability or the skills or the knowledge or the intelligence. And so um, that held me back for about five years, six years in an office job before I finally made that leap. And as the saying goes, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And so when I started traveling the world and I was running out of money and needing to find a way to make money, I decided, you know, let's go all in on, um, long story short, let's go all in on the, the business, the agency. And, um, so I started to create an agency actually called Satya, um, which is the Quechua word. These are uh, a group of indigenous Indians that live in the middle of the Amazon. I lived with them for a month. And so I wanted to create some type of business to help support them. Um, really the passion to help them protect their land from oil and logging. And so that was the kind of the jumping off point for the business. Um, 15% of our profits were reinvested to helping them protect their land. So the only skill I had at that point was knowing how to run SEO and digital marketing. And so that was the business I ended up creating and had a, had a lot of motivation to do it for the, the purpose behind them. And also because I didn't want to be dead broke. So that was the start. Good incentive. Yes. <laughs> Very fundamental. Yeah. So... So what, what, what niche did you guys... Did, did you target a niche? Like, How did you scale that? Yeah, great question. So when when I started in the business, a lot of my experience beforehand was doing digital marketing, consulting, um, the bigger companies, large large companies, big companies in the US, 3M, Ducati, people like that, um, Honda. And so really for me, I tried to I tried to stay in that niche as much as I could. Big businesses, Fortune 500, all of that. But being a new agency on the scene, it's a little hard to do that. And so I think we did what most agencies do when you start. It was trying to serve everyone, right? Where could we get the client? Let's try and serve everyone. And as we started to mature through the, the agency process, it was more niching down, um, bigger energy. So we did like big solar companies, big energy companies. Um, and that was kind of a, a really big focus for us towards the end of the agency was really just dialing in on that. We had a couple of clients who weren't in that niche that were just longstanding clients with us. But for the most part, it was, it was that energy companies were sustainable yeah, as well. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. No. So, did you guys have a big client base? And pardon me for scratching my own itch here. I've always wanted to ask you these questions. So, <laughs> no problem at all. Um, 
Yeah, our client base wasn't huge. I think in total, we had maybe about 20 clients, but we were working with bigger accounts, which is kind of ideally the dream when it comes to um, agency business. You know, when we started or years before, um, when I started the agency, we had a lot of clients, you know, clients at 1500, 2K a month. And then as we started to, to grow, it was more like 15,000, 25,000, that type of, that type of um, ongoing retainer with them. And that just made the business, the whole business easier. And so uh, essentially the way we, we started to get more of those clients was really one, we, we really knew how to tell our story and legitimize and use our story with those bigger energy companies. It made us stand out a little bit. Um, because my time spent living there with that indigenous community and the profits we were reinvesting to help protect the Amazon um, really spoke to some larger sustainable energy companies. And so um, ultimately, yeah, we had we had big businesses like that, Fortune 500, Fortune 200 companies that we were working with. And um, eventually it felt like the right time to sell. And so that was the decision I made at the end of 2020. And um, Finalized, signed the document on December twenty fourth, twenty twenty, and uh, was a free man right after that. Wow! Merry Christmas, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I heard that uh, I was considering selling our company like a year ago, and um, an advisor had told me if you could only sell one company in your life, would this be the one? You know, mm-hmm. or if you could only do one exit, would you want to exit now? And I thought that was an interesting. Thought you know because he this guy was like in his sixties you know still a very active businessman, but in their world typically somebody only has one exit in their career. When people mean you look at like me and you look at it, it's like oh I could have multiple exits if I design the right model. Um, That's such a great point, right? Because there is that that thinking, right? A little bit I would say old school thinking that where like it was it took so much longer to grow businesses, right? As you probably know within within your business and your agency. We have the ability now with technology to scale an agency over a couple of years to, to be doing a couple hundred thousand a month. Where you know the the older world of agencies to to get to hundred thousand a month, you know that's probably four years in. So that idea of of how do we how do we actually have that ability to to sell it? I think that's a little bit new for a new gener- newer generation. So I like that thinking that you have <laughs> multiple. Yeah, ads. yeah. Go. <laughs> we uh, it took it took us I think four years to scale K and J to a hundred grand a month, and um, and then after that it took off quick. But uh, we launched a new paper lead maybe like three four months ago, and our first month we did two hundred grand. Wow! So um, yeah, I mean, and it was all powered by technology and ads and stuff. So that it, it really does show for anybody listening, like there's no reason that anybody can't do that. I mean, we closed 19 clients in a month, so it's nothing more than the average, you know, Jack or Joe could do. Um, was it? What, were you, anyway, were, were you guys running a lot of paid ads for that? I'm just curious. I'd love to. What was kind of the? Campaign? Yeah, we can dig into it. So, so basically, the model is um, we find investors for micro acquisitions, people who want to buy like a Shopify e-commerce store, or an Amazon store, or some other you know micro acquisition, and the ticket range like 30 to 100 grand. And we pair those with companies that are selling them. So mm-hmm. uh, we charge around 300 bucks a lead. So for somebody to spend, like if they buy 10 appointments a day, that comes out to what, $3,000, 15 grand a week. One client, we got 60K in revenue. Wow. Um, and so we start, started with ad powered. Our, our cost of goods was around like 70% when we started. And about a week, uh, two weeks ago, we shifted all off of ads to call centers. So we have a call center in Tijuana with uh, six people and then one in the Philippines with two people. So eight people mm-hmm. slamming the phones all day. They dial about 300 calls per person for people who have like registered, shown interest, want to do it. And then we pair them with those companies. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that telling that story now, it sounds all like sexy and pretty, but like it was, it was a pretty, you know, it's a software business, right? Uh, we built the whole back end. So it was a lot of, redevelopment, like a lot of building Frankenstein type of technology and then breaking it down and trying to rebuild, trying boxed solutions and those not working and going back and forth to now, you know, three, four months in just hitting our stride in terms of um, having product validation and having continuity. So it was, you know, it was a lot of up and down at first, but it really does show the power. I mean, like you're, you're a, a shining example of somebody who can have a dream idea, move to a location like that. And now with the where AI and tech are at, 
start a yeah. business that's on track for two and a half million in a year in its first month. That's a, that's a very plausible equation. I mean, I don't, I definitely don't consider myself the highest IQ person. I think any <laughs> dude like me or you could do it, you know? For sure. For sure. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think one of the key things you said there is the leveraging of the technology, right? Ultimately, ultimately that provides that ability to be able to scale as quickly as you guys did. That's super impressive for, for only a couple months in to be able to do that. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that was, uh, that was the idea was how can we, instead of have 10 client campaigns and 10 clients have one campaign and 10 clients. And actually Matt Mm -hmm. Cohen is the one who helped me design the model. Um, so I say that because, uh, this is all the purpose of the business is to buy our time back so that we can live, so we can be present and do things uh, that we enjoy, not just that we have to do or for the sole purposes of you know hedonistic desires, um, which is really like you know what I want to talk about today. I just I, I really find your journey fascinating because honestly, I look at you like a role model. Like you sold your agency before I did. You you know built this life that I think is awesome. You know you got the. The the motorcycle, what is it like a an Indian or like a Bonneville or something? Yeah, yeah, BMW R nine T. It's kind of one of the old old school looking bikes. So yeah, yeah I love it. Beautiful, <laughs> but yeah, you you really did it, and and I think that sets a good stage for our conversation because it's like I've got a lot of respect for you. Um, I think in a lot of ways you had better focus and discipline than me in some ways, and I had mm-hmm. to learn that lesson the hard way. Now coming up to now, you can see we applied some of that knowledge and got some of the results, but um, you. You did it earlier, and I think it, it speaks to your character and the, the the dimensions and the layers of your character of having discipline at these different levels. Um, so I definitely like want to dig into that. Um, and I noticed that you're doing something that scares you every day as part of your morning routine. So you do your burpees, do your meditation, and then you do something that scares you. Yeah, you know, I think I got right. that right. But you did. Um, <laughs> That, that's awesome. I mean, I saw that and I was like, damn, I need to do something scary every day. What a great pursuit, you know, pursue a, you know, hit up a celebrity or, you know, whatever. Do a wheelie on the motorcycle. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, what are some scary things you've done lately? I'd love to hear about it. You know, like, and what, what's the experience after you do that scary thing? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I, I do in the program I run with guys is that's part of the thing I tell them to do. So it's something I want to be doing as well is how do we overcome this software program that we all have in our head? And I call it the governor. It's this, this software that prevents us from really stepping out into boldness, stepping out into taking that action in life that we want to. And so, you know, the example I always give is it's the thing that prevents you from talking to that pretty girl at the coffee shop that you see. It's the thing that prevents you from starting that new business that you want to start. It's that fear of going against the social norm, which feels scary, feels almost like death a lot of times for people and to actually do that. And so for me, every morning, one of the, one of the phrases we have is make calm the mind and savage the body. And so every day, I want to make, I want to make the mind calm, you know, start with meditation and then I want to savage the body. I want to put the body through that effort. Um, of those burpees and then do the thing that scares me. And oddly enough, the thing that scares me almost every day is speaking really directly and honestly with people that I need to speak with in my life. And so, for example, there was a guy who was going to join wow. my program. We had a call, a sales call. We connected really well. And for what something happened with his account where he was supposed to book in to sign up and he didn't. And he said, Oh, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And so, he told me he was going to, we had connected and then he didn't do it the next day. And so for me, it was like, Hey, my group's already full now. I can leave it alone. But at the same time, I thought that scares me to have that conversation and confront him about that. Like that wasn't cool to give me your word in that way and then not follow through. And it, it doesn't stand right wow. with me to not bring up the conversation, even though the seats are filled. And so that's an example of one for today. Um, but it, it varies from day to day, but a lot of it's around that, like really speaking my truth, really saying how something made me feel having the tough conversation or talking to a pretty girl I see or calling that dream client of mine, whatever it is. And do you write it down or do you just like think out in your mind? Like, like, do do you have a, uh, like a, a workbook or a journal that you go to during your morning routine and, and set that out? Or do you just say, this is what I want to do. And then go attack it. Like, what's that process look like? Yeah. You know what? It's, it's actually that 
uh, this is what I want to do and then go do it. So I kind of feel into my body and I say, what makes me feel uncomfortable right now? What makes me feel uncomfortable today? So one morning, for example, I said, what would make me feel uncomfortable right now? And I said, doing a fa- an Instagram live with zero preparation. <laughs> and so in that moment, I did an Instagram live and I had a bunch of people join it and I just started just started talking off the cuff. And so it's it's finding that thing each day. And what I find is the the moment we find that's kind of the the analogy of swallowing the the frog. Um, the moment I do that thing in the day, it's like, okay, everything else is kind of easy. I've already done something by 10 a.m. that scares me. So what what can I do now? It's it's a momentum generator for me more than anything. So you do it first thing. Yeah. I try to. Wow. I try to. Sometimes there isn't something. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wait, wait till I go outside and then I'll figure it out. I'll find something. That's really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoy it. It's um it's scary but fun. And have you uh pissed off any people with your candor? <laughs> it I immediately comes to mind. You you know what? It it hasn't been as bad as I perceived it to be. Um, but I definitely had some tougher conversations for sure. And yeah, one I thing think- I found in, in my own kind of personality and journey is sometimes when people owe me money, for example, like even if it's a small amount, like a hundred dollars, dollars, I just usually say leave it. But what I've been doing recently is no, let me have that conversation. Let me let me do that because it's also a form of self-love for me too to to be defending and standing up for myself too. So um the journey's been been unique with it for sure. Yeah, I think um, that's that's an interesting remark around. Oh, should I say something over this hundred dollars or even twenty dollars? Because yeah. there was a a verbal social agreement that was broken, and by forgiving it, we feel okay. I'm providing compassion and grace to this person. But at a deeper level, if we peel the layers back, that might be that I don't want to have that conversation with them. Yes. Yes. And then you build a bad habit that could be. Oh, I'm just going to forgive it. Fifty bucks next time. Hundred bucks the following time. And that's a very common uh, thing for agency people is throwing in comp to work. You know, somebody yes. like sweet talks you and asks you for an expansion of the scope and and so on. So anyway, I think it's interesting that you are um, you have a stop loss in place for that because those small conversations are practiced. Let's practice when twenty bucks is on the line, not twenty thousand bucks on the line. Yes, because mm-hmm. emotions and everything flare much harder at you know five, six, seven figures. Yeah, and, and ultimately that journey for me is it's part of the transitioning from being a nice guy into a what I would say a strong man. And and for me, a lot of my life I've I've been the nice guy. Like I'm I'm very empathetic naturally. I can feel people really well. I I care. I don't want to pe- I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Um and so a lot of times I'll take that burden on myself, which is classic kind of nice guy behavior. And so this transitions from business to dating to everything. But what I found in my own agency is when my agency wasn't doing well, it was because I was being a nice guy. I was giving my employees too much leeway. I was letting them get away with things I shouldn't have let them get away with. I was letting my clients get away with things I shouldn't have let them get away with. And so a lot of my journey over the last two years or really three years has been, how do I get rid of that programming and step into a program of being more of like a, a firm man who's fair and just, but who also doesn't take shit? Because that ultimately is the indicator of me being in my power and my strength as well. Yeah, I, I really love that. Just that whole pursuit, that whole meditation. Um, because you're, you're ultimately not doing anyone a service when you let them cut corners, like employees, for example, or your coaching students or your friends. Like when they cut yes. corners, they're doing themselves a disservice. And by nature, you're uh, absorbing some of that energy because you're allowing it, right? Um, so I, I guess my, my question for you is, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, living in the Amazon uh, with that tribe was, was pretty scary for me. Um, actually, before I went in there, because no one had... There had only been two Westerners that who had ever stayed with them before. They're still hunter-gatherers. Like 80% of the food they get is still from that means. And so... When I went in there about six years ago, um, I even wrote like a, a goodbye letter to my uh, to my family, and I emailed it just to one sister, and I said, "Hey, if anything happens to me, I want you to give this to the family." And so it was really a coming to terms with 
I don't know what's going to happen there. And I don't know. It was completely unknown. And so I essentially showed up there uh, with a buddy of mine in the middle of the Amazon with a translator. And we lived for a month um, with this Amazonian tribe and went hunting with them, did everything that they did in the forest. And um, yeah, it was kind of a, a little bit of facing my death or facing my potential for death by even just going there. Yeah, it's like a physical death threat leads to a uh, an ego death, almost, yes. it sounds like. Completely. And so what was the feeling after, you know, after you came back and, and reflecting on, wow, I just risked my life, my reputation, everything. I wrote a, uh, a goodbye note to my family. Like what, reflecting back on that, were you glad that you did it? Was it less scary or more scary than you had anticipated? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I had scary moments. Um, it was it was less scary than the the anticipation because the anticipation had an element of um, unknown. Um, so being there, there was elements that were scary. There was a, a time when we were in the jungle. We had an interaction with the jaguar, which was kind of scary. Um, but coming back from the experience for me was ultimately a. I felt like I could do anything after I came back. And I don't know still to this day why I had that feeling. I think part of it was because I did something so big and different, it gave me that feeling. Um, but also because I had all this time with myself, completely away from electricity, completely away from technology, just with my mind and myself. And it, it gave me a different, um, wow. a more reckless energy, but not reckless in a bad way, reckless in a way of like, I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm free. And I hadn't really felt that freedom to that level before in my life. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, hard conversations and facing your fears, it's actually disarming. You know, it's, it's never as bad as you think. But just hearing you reflect on that is it's pretty inspirational. I'm sure anyone listening could, could resonate as well that it's like, wow, I actually came out better off than, you know, and I thought I was going to be in a, a horrible situation when I got there. You know, I think that's the, the approach to a lot of things is we fear that things are going to get worse because we, sure. we take this risk. For sure. And, and, and that even, you know, that goes back to every area of your life. I think you've probably had those experiences too, right? Where it's like, there's so much anticipation of the unknown, which again is kind of that programming that I call the governor. It's like the mind's ability to try and control everything. And, and really life is so meant to be lived, not in that zone. Um, I had a a mentor. I was lucky to have a mentor growing up who was a wrestling coach of mine who sold a company for a couple billion dollars at age 32. Jesus. And Jesus. he, yeah. And so he was this incredibly successful guy who decided he wanted to go coach kids wrestling. But one of the pieces of advice he so gave cool. me, so cool. So an incredible human being. So one of the pieces of advice that he gave me a few years ago is he said, two rules for life. One, do things before you are ready. Get in front of your skis. That is where life is supposed to be lived. And then the second one is recognize and realize that you are not in the driver's seat of life. And so I love the kind of dichotomy of that is one, I'm going to do everything I can to be in front of my skis to do the things before I'm ready. But then two, I'm also going to be detached from that outcome to recognize and realize that I'm really not in control. I can't control whatever outcome is going to come from that. And so I've really taken that advice to heart and I try and I try and live that advice as much as I can. And I know I'm far from where I want to be with it, but it's it's been a fun journey. Yeah, it, it really makes me um, reflect on all of the work you've done around like masculinity because one of the core tenets from you know me checking out your website and stuff is the uh, the tenet of adventure. Yes. And adventure is based in fear and risk, right? Mm. And <clears throat> I think that's what we're all afraid of, right? Like everybody wants safety these days. And, you know, pe people just aren't inclined to take those kind of risks. Like kids climb trees, you know, my dad hitchhiked <laughs> across the country when he was 19 to California, yeah. hitchhiked. Wow. And um, yeah, I think he's a, he embodies that, that sense of adventure. He actually passed away kayaking, right? So he was yeah. up until the, the moment that he died, he was adventuring. Yes. And, um, you know, I think you're, you're a, a living example of that as well. Like 
you know, living in a different country, learning different languages, like learning different languages, super scary as well. Sure. Um, so can you, can you just talk to me about your perspective on masculinity and like, you know, where we are today with society and, you know, sure. yeah. And just what are your, what are your thoughts on where we're headed with that? Yeah. The, I, have, I have a lot of stuff. thoughts on that. What, what did you say? I didn't catch the last part. Well, you know, what, what, how are you intervening? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It, it's, it's interesting because I think all my journey and all the things, my perspectives are really just from the experiences of me not doing it right. And ultimately, what I realized a few years ago in a relationship with my dream woman, who was very feminine, who was very powerful, who's very connected. Originally, she's indigenous, a few generations away. So she's very connected to her essence, her energy, all of that. I recognized and I realized that I didn't know especially coming from the West. She was from Brazil. I didn't know what it meant to be actually really a masculine man. And through the relationship, I saw all of my inadequacies and holes that I had in leading, in, in creating safety, in creating security for a woman in a relationship. And so you know, what I noticed is in the US, everything's so equal as far as energetics goes. Like my girlfriends in the US, it was like, I'm 60% masculine, she's 40% masculine. And so there's a little difference, but what I noticed being in South America and being in Brazil, there was such a gap where my girlfriend wasn't willing to go to 40% masculinity, which is beautiful. And I recognized I didn't have the ability and the skill to really step up my ability with being that man who can guide, protect, lead, um, create safety, step into full honesty, step into full vulnerability. And so to maybe answer your question a little bit better, you know, my my journey with that is just recognizing, wow, I've actually been hurt in a lot of relationships and I've hurt a lot of people because I didn't understand my core essence energetically. And that I think is the most important thing to see. And one of the things I see with, with clients now is that a lot of married men in the West, they are kind of in that more equal energetic space um, where then when once the woman has a, a baby she becomes so much more feminine and trusts him less. And it creates this tension in the relationship because he's not fully as masculine. And it causes problems in society. And I've seen it with family members. I've seen it with friends of mine who have had kids. And so I think it's an element of men needing to understand what it means to be masculine. And being masculine is not driving the motorcycle or smoking the cigar or building the big muscles. It's understanding how to really lead, defend, create safety and protect the people around you and creating that environment and that space, that kingdom creates a level, uh, a, a location for a feminine woman to come in and feel, feel safe because ultimately that's what they want at the core. Beautifully said. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, even speaking autobiographically here, it's not easy being in your full masculine, right? You're constantly being tested by everything in life, right? Like clients are asking you to move the boundaries. Your girl is asking for this right now. And there's always this temptation to respond reactively. And it's very hard to get out of that. So like, mm -hmm. what, you know, what, what advice would you give to just say people in their twenties, thirties, you know, who want to establish that sense of, um, of power, I think is the best way to put it is, is, is being in your power. Like what are blind spots and, like insecurities that they may not be conscious of that that they should look out for. Yeah, I think the biggest one for men is is the the recognition and the ownership of what you feel and what you believe is correct in that moment. And so what do I mean by that? You know, if if I feel a client or my girlfriend or my partner is pushing my boundary, there's this idea we think we have to be a good man. We have to okay, I'm going to be accommodating all the time. I'm going to bend over backwards to let this happen. And it's actually recognizing and realizing that the more we can step into truth, into what we really feel and what we really believe, the more we operate from a place of power and it actually benefits the people around us as well, because it allows our team to feel safe as our leadership grows. And we are that safe place, that firm boundary. It allows our partner to feel safe because we are that firm boundary who sticks to his morals and his values which is something I used to definitely not be in my last relationships, which caused that chaos. And so I think the advice is understand what do you stand for? 
really sit down and do that work and understand it? And then what are you not willing to let people step over? What What is your boundary? Where does that exist? And I think the next level after that is about understanding how to connect with yourself and feel what feels right. And for me, in a lot of the coaching interactions I have, I'm feeling and I'm like, I didn't, something about that didn't sound right. It didn't resonate with me. And the courage to say, hey, you know what? I got to stop you there. That didn't feel good. That didn't feel right. So I think it's those two things, understanding the boundary and then being intuitive enough to feel when something's happening in that moment to be able to say it. What do you think too? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I have this uh, this handbook. I don't know. So I got it from a coach that Matt gave me way back in the day. It's called the Zen OS Mental Operating System. And I read it every day. And it has my three business goals. Amazing. Why, who, and how. Cool. My three personal goals. This is quarterly. Wow. My identity, right? So I've written down who I see myself as. My achievements, character traits, body type, and style. Vision, like what kind of impact I want to leave. Values, mentors, and then a vision board. And I read this every morning, uh, ideally out loud. So this, this is... It probably took me like one quarter to get it right. Right, like trying to draft that kind of—it's it, one thing to write write a paragraph on who Alan Howard is, but it's a whole different thing to like be spiritually aligned with that and to have it be accurate to how you uh, how you see your highest self, you know. Sure. And of course, you know, trying to shatter any ego around that. Really, just speaking from intention and heart. So that's how I go about that. But um, that. what 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 a what a beautiful um, practice to do it each and every day. Yeah, it, it really it inks everything. It really tattoos uh, the stuff on your mind, and it, it, it's like a, a it's like a cold shower. It's like a reset every day. Okay, remember your goal is to hit 100k with this, or your goal is to you know practice piano every Saturday. Those are like some things that I'm working on, um, and so you're constantly realigning to that, and then your boundaries are set. But most mm-hmm. people probably have not gone through this level of pro- uh, of rigor to define. W- who they are, what they want, where their boundaries are, these things that you're talking to me about. And I've given this handbook to people. Um, I stopped giving it to people because they didn't go through and do it. And I paid 2000 bucks for it. So I'm like, okay, if, if you pay for it, you'll use it. And most for people sure. don't have that level of conviction. So they don't want to pay for it. So I don't give it to them. But the people who do, and I have that conversation before I share it, they... They're just overflowing with gratitude by the time they come out of it, but it's a, it's a hard process, and I'm I'm happy to share with you. I think you would definitely apply it, but love, um, that. love that it's it you know it morphs and changes, and like your perception of self is after I don't and I want to get into this next is psychedelics, but after you've had ego death, it's really easy to see what's uh, what's me painting a picture of who I think I I need to be, and like what's the the genuine. Um, warm, soft center of who I am. Yes, and so like being able to distinguish that is is really important. And so I guess for anyone listening, the kind of the, the itch that I was trying to scratch is like, you know, write it down, like word vomit, like just journal who who you think you are, who you think you want to be, and and let that kind of start to take shape because that's where you'll be able to draw boundaries. You, know, you won't know that until it's it's written, until it's on paper, it's in stone. Yeah, I like that you, you used the word that I thought was really appropriate. You said inked. You'd like it inks it. And and so much of the the thought process I have and the work I do is around our our subconscious beliefs about ourselves. And you know, there's really two ways to change those beliefs about ourselves. One's really powerful emotional experiences, and the other one is um repetition, right? How can you make it to your home without even paying attention to the road? You're looking down at your phone, you're the subconscious is driving you to your house. And I think the more you ink things in your life, the more that just seeps down into the subconscious and it creates a firmness that like, yes, this is the type of man I am. I am this guy. This is what I'm going for. This is the life I built. And so I think the process you're, you're speaking about is really powerful for that inking, as you said. Yeah. And I, th- I would say it's, um, 
a firm center and a malleable edge. That's kind of like what I tell mm. my team, like know what your core, your rocks are, and then you can negotiate with where those lines fall. And this, it, it's good to do it like on a quarterly basis because then you can make, like it, it hasn't, it hasn't seen a full revamp maybe but once in the four or five years that I've been doing it. Wow. Powerful. Um, I love that too. Yeah, only, firm only, center only, and malleable edges. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's like yeah. I, I stand by my first principles, but I'm I'm not an asshole. You know, I'm not completely unbudging on stuff. You know, I can I can be workable. For sure, for sure. Um, but I, I I wanted to mention to you that this was this is on cardstock. I printed it high quality because I noticed that when I printed this on cheap printer paper, I never carried it around. I never looked at it. Mm. It felt it felt crappy and light and not serious. And then I accidentally printed it on the cardstock one time. And now it's like my Bible. I take it everywhere. You can see it's like right here on my desk. Love and, it. you know, I, I just think that speaks to, um, you know, we as men, like how, how we define who we are and how we stick to our values and principles. I'm a big first principles guy. Like these kind of practices can really get you in that workflow and, and, and journaling and all that. Um, but with that said, I mean, I just did a journey like a week. Yeah, last week. Last week I did um, three grams of mushrooms and I, I had wow. a really steep, a deep spiritual experience. And, it, you know, I kind of, uh, I was my own shaman in a way, right? Like I built the environment and, you know, catered to the senses, the light, the sounds, the smells, you know, taste, everything. Um, but this, this shows about you. So I want to, I want to hear about, you know, maybe your most meaningful spiritual journey. Um, you know, yeah. How did that go? Like, what were some of the learnings from it? How did you integrate those learnings? Yeah, um, amazing. Mushrooms are amazing. I'll I'll, I'll comment on that first um, from your own journey. But uh, it's like a wild stallion. But yes, I agree. Yes, yes. You know, mushrooms. I I, I give them a lot of responsibility for actually a big a big change in my life, um, in the trajectory and the direction of my life because. As a kid, I grew up part of my life in Africa. My parents were missionaries. And so we came back to the States in middle school. And wow. I didn't really do school for about four or five years. And my parents were kind of born again Christian hippies. They were, they didn't really value oh, education. So yeah, they uh they threw me into uh they threw me into school after not really doing school for four or five years. So I kind of I had this outcast mentality for a lot of my life. This I'm unintelligent. I don't really get the school thing. And I think that created a level of like anger in, in my life. And so for a lot of my life, I've always had a, a bit more of like a competitive energy. But what that ended up bringing out in my life was a lot of anger, which turned into a lot of street fights. And so I had a period of my life where it was like every two or three weekends, I was in a fist fight outside of a bar or fighting some people at the beach or whatever it was. It was just like, I was Jeez. attracting that energy. And um, and there was a part of me that loved it. It loved the presence that it brought, the the real connection with source that fighting brings. It's a really powerful spiritual experience. And so I always had a kind of a negative view of drugs. I didn't never went down that route. But um one day I was hiking in beautiful national park in California called Big Sur with a good buddy of mine and some of his friends that I didn't really know. And we had been hiking for about five hours and got to the top of this really beautiful ridge that just overlooked the Pacific Ocean right at sunset. And um, one of his buddies, Bernie, handed me a chocolate bar. And I was just about to put it in my mouth. And he was like, wait, 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 that has mushrooms in it. You know that. And at this point, my mouth is salivating. I'm so hungry. I'm just like, I don't need, dude, I don't care. And I just threw it in. I ate it. And he, I was like, wow. well, what happens? And he's like, you have 30 minutes to set up your tent before you're laughing hysterically. And sure enough, 30 to 40 minutes in, I'm dying laughing. And what happened over that night, I don't know how many grams, a two or three, it was a, it was a good trip. Um, wow. But I felt something for the first time. Yeah, it was, it was a rocket ship for sure. Um, but I felt something different that day. I felt for the first time, connection. And not just connection to myself, but connection to nature, connection to the universe. I felt this universal love that I had never, ever felt before. 
you know, whether that's love from God or universe or from self, I don't know, but it just like, it took what I always describe as like a balloon in my body of anger that was at like 95% full. And so I just needed 5% to pop off. And it just deflated that thing. And that happened at like 24 years old for me. I'm 34 now. Since that time, I've never gotten another fight. I've never punched anyone in the face. I've never been aggressive in that manner. And it completely changed my life to a state of like, hey, this path I'm going down is not is not a path that's going to serve me well if I keep on it. So yeah, be- beautiful experience for me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there was a fork in the road and you just went a different direction this time. Like everything changed from that moment. Yeah, and I think the difference too is like the ability to feel. It was the ability to feel love like from a universal standpoint that I had never really felt love for self, love for other humans, love for nature. And, and that really had an impact that, that, that shook me to my core. Wow. It's moving. Yeah. It, it baffles me that some people take that sacred plant medicine as a party drug because of how much respect for nature, the universe, that, like abounding sense of love that you feel when you're on it. It's just crazy to me that people would do that and how vulnerable you are. It's crazy to me people do that in a party setting. Um, but of course, right. I'm a big proponent for doing it in a <laughs> spiritual setting, especially out in nature. I mean, you see the energy radiating from every plant, from every tree, and it's real. You know it's yes. real. And yes. there's doubters, but they know they're like, it's a little too realistic. <laughs> it, what I like to say is you're seeing the world in high definition uh, after after a mushroom trip. If you're out in nature, it's just so spectacular and and so love inducing to to see that connection between you and everything else. Yeah, I have this doctor who I was talking to, and he's you know twenty plus years of doing all kinds of. Um, research studies and tests and right now he works in nutraceuticals which is like pharmaceuticals made with like plants mm-hmm. and um, i was asking him because he's a psychedelics guy and i asked him i was like is it real what we're seeing or is it just a convolution of our perception and he said um generally our eyes see like a rounded out smooth version of the world the real nature of what we see is actually more jagged and it's got edges and it's 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 basically just more animated more but it's not as perfect as we see it and so when you take mushrooms you take that level of filtering off and you see the kind of more rich kind of animated nature to things but our brain and our body and our perception um dole it out to make it more manageable Right, because if everything was that kind of like sensory overload, it'd just be overwhelming. So the brain has found a way to smooth the edges of things out, slow the vibration of like trees and plants down. And so when you see that, it's like, well, I've actually just taken off a filter, and I'm seeing that this life, or this plant is actually alive, and I can see its life. But if I was walking around like that all day, at like a macro dose level, <laughs> it'd be super distracting, right? It'd be like you know, squirrels, yeah, yeah, impossible i remember there was a time i took mushrooms in in europe and i was sitting in a park and i looked at a tree for four and a half hours and it was one of the best afternoons in my life it was just so many colors and so many details on it so that totally makes sense because at the end of the day right if every time if you're trying to survive as a human being and you get caught looking at a tree for five hours because it's beautiful that's probably not going to serve you well in nature so the survival yeah it's probably a survival thing right like a animal come attack you or whatever but um i I found that interesting because at at that point it's like a perceptual thing and so um you know i've done ayahuasca twice and i've done mushrooms probably i don't know a dozen times um but every time i do it i have these breakthroughs whether Mm -hmm. it's you know personal development or from a, a, a grander scale like for example one of the messages i get pretty much every time that i do a journey is that the uh there's a spiritual warfare going on yes, and it's between the controlling and the, uh, the liberated, right? The people who are uh, seeking a pure, clean soul and those who are seeking to control others. And yes. so this warfare 
I don't know if you've seen the same message. I'm curious if other people have seen those same messages, but um, it's like there are these spirits telling me that there it is urgent that I translate what they are telling me, which is energetic translation. It's not in words, some language. It's like a feeling. They say <laughs> we need to use you as a medium to tell people um, to to basically stop living this way. Um, and it has to do with vanity and and with things and technology and just the the endless pursuit for um you know that kind of uh materialism that's the word i'm looking for yeah so i'm curious like what you know have have you seen messages like that like what 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 messages and downloads do you get when you are really in that deep meditative state and start connecting with source because there's there's a distinct moment you know when you feel it sure energy flow yeah, one of the one of the biggest messages I have, it was actually kind of one of the messages that I felt was a catalyst for the the leaving of my business um, and the decision to sell it. There were some other decisions as well that were important too, but it definitely had an effect. Um, and it was actually after an MDMA therapy session. I did a MDMA with a, a therapist and and had a really powerful wow. session. And I felt like that more that for me really connected me deeply with my heart. And I just feel when you're really connected to that feeling and that heart center, your 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 alignment and your clarity on direction is much improved. And that's what it that journey for me felt like. And so it was a couple nights after, maybe a week after the um the session, it was a month or a couple months into COVID at the time, at the start of it, a couple months into the pandemic. And um, I had a dream one night. It was actually in the bed right behind me. And um, I was running through a city. And I woke up in the dream as I was being chased through the city. And it was the most real dream I've ever had. And I was running from something. And I don't know what it was. And I was terrified. And I was scared. And I, I found an old building. And I opened the door. And I ran inside. And um, I... Uh, as I went under a pool table and I hid from what I was chasing, I heard this buzzing noise coming coming at me. And I, I I looked from out under the pool table and I saw these drones that were chasing me. And it was an interesting time in my life because right before this, I had been featured in Forbes. Um, I had been asked to do a talk for entrepreneurs. There was a lot of like status things that were happening in my life. Obviously, the agency had a powerful story. We're helping a, a community there in the Amazon. We're working with high-level clients. And so I remember in that dream being so scared of what was chasing me. And I looked from under the table up at the drones. I saw them. And right then in that moment, I woke up and I received a message. And the message said, don't forget why you're here. You're not here for money or fame. You're here to wake people up. And it's only one of two dreams I've ever had where I woke up crying. And I felt in that moment that it was a clear indicator of like, get on with your path get on with the path and start doing it. Because I'd been avoiding the, the work I'm doing now for about five years at that time or four years at that time. Um, and so six months later, I sold the business and now I'm, I'm working on the business, the new one. And it's called The Path. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> wow. What a story. I, I find it funny that it came in to you in the form of a dream because... I've been reading up a lot on this lately, like other people who there's this um, concept called remote viewing. It's like an FBI investigation technique in the 70s. And now it's turned into basically like a uh, a practice of people who want to connect with other dimensions. I'll leave it there. There's a book called um, Cosmic Explorations by, and who's it by? I'll, I'll leave it in the show notes. But um it basically, in order to do remote viewing, you can be present here and you can see what's happening inside of the White House. That's the whole idea. But yes. it comes in like the form of like a dream, right? Like it's dark lighting. It's at a subconscious level. You're not actually seeing it. You're perceiving it in your mind, right? Um, or some degree of feeling and emotion and perception to build, to paint a picture. And that the way that they describe remote viewing, you basically, to, to do that, you go into a deep meditative state and you basically have to shut off the conscious mind completely. Yes. And so then the subconscious mind starts coming up and you don't have to actively engage with it. And it's almost better if you don't because the conscious mind tries to interpret things and will convolute messages or take you out of that meditative state. 
So it's better to actually uh, disengage the conscious mind completely. And that is my practice when I do a journey is I try to disengage my conscious mind completely. One, because it <laughs> could use a break. But second, uh, it's the same thing that happens in a dream. Wow. It's the same, it's the same feeling. And it's the same mechanism. You know, DMT gets released right before you fall asleep. You know, sometimes you start seeing visions right before you fall asleep. It's the same mechanism of shutting off your brain. So anyone who's been scared to do psychedelics, if you're curious what it looks like, you're going to see what you would see in a dream. Sure. It's basically sure. like the same experience to me, at least. That's how I've experienced yes. it. And from the reading that I've done, it's, it sounds pretty aligned. So anyway, you can if you can reach that state in meditation or through um, active, uh, what's it called? When you're like wake, wakeful dreaming, I forget what that's called. Oh yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming. Yeah. All, all of those. The whole, the whole pursuit is that you're tapping into your subconscious. What does the deeper me want outside yes. of the, the hedonistic, superficial me? And and you found it, right? It it came to the surface, and you have to listen for it. You obviously were open to it because you can't receive these messages unless you're open to them, right? And I, th- I that's, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because obviously I've been nerding out about it. I'm really passionate about it. But that is that is really you know the subconscious is the culminator of all the data, of all the facts mm-hmm. the, as as we know them, right? As as our experience guides us, and so it's the most uh, accurate truth, right? And then you got your truth. You ended up selling the company. Now you're doing something that you love, and you're really you're probably you know pretty self actualized at this point, and all from a dream, you know, from some <laughs> subconscious message, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy to think about that. Right. And, and I agree with everything you're saying. The subconscious is just, is so powerful. Just the ability to take in all the information it does. And, you know, one of the, one of the modalities that I use a lot is, is understanding how to be in touch with it more um, and, and really remove that conscious mind that is seeking that control, that is seeking that, that um, planning of everything. And, and I think there's such power when we start to let ourselves let go of the steering wheel and know that we're not in charge of life and let the subconscious come to the surface and follow the whispers of the heart, which are the guidance to actually do the things we want to do, even though they're really scary. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it, I've always known for a while that the work I'm doing now is the work I was supposed to be doing, but it was just a, a lack of courage. Um, because I didn't have the clear roadmap. And I think this is one of the illusions that so many great people fall into is this illusion that I'm going to start working on the thing I really want to work on when I know the roadmap. I'm going to start doing it when I know the full destination, but I just don't think life works that way. I think life gives you a direction to go in. And then ultimately, as you take those steps down the path, it becomes more and more illuminated to you. It's kind of like it, that old Age of Empires game, if you ever played it. It's like the whole map is black. And then as you walk in a certain area, it starts to light up so you can see the path. And I think, I think that's what really life is about. I think that we're here to have our own hero's journey. And there's a reason why that story structure of a hero who doesn't feel ready is called to go on a path that they don't know how to get there. And they know there's going to be treachery along the way. They know there's going to be struggles along the way, but they just follow that heart. They follow those whispers of that heart to figure it out. And I think there's a reason that story structure resonates with every human culture and human history. It's because it's the story of you. It's the story of me. It's the story of everyone listening to this. And I think that's the path for us is how do we have the courage to follow the whispers of our heart and and really be able to feel it and hear it? Wow. Uh, very well said. Um, you know, I, I heard about the hero's journey maybe like 10 years ago and everything makes sense after you look at it in that light the tunnel coming up, et cetera. Yes. Um, so I guess my question for you is like, what does the world need to hear right now? What do people need to know? If you can condense it into one message, put it on a billboard or whatever. You're never going to be ready. You're never going to be ready. You have to take the action now for what your heart wants. You have to step into courage now. And one of my favorite quotes is nature loves courage. Um, I really believe that to be true. I believe that God, the universe, nature is at our backs. It's giving us the wind 
at our backs. It's giving us that power when we're willing to step into that place of, of courage and actually walk the path we feel led to walk. And oftentimes that path we feel led to walk is a path that seems ridiculous to everyone else. It seemed ridiculous to sell a company that was just starting to have a lot of success. It seemed ridiculous to go into men's coaching when there's such a different level of acknowledgement I got by working with Fortune 500 companies than being another coach online. But the reality is it's what I love. And in this journey has been so much more fulfilling, gratifying, and beautiful just from wow. actually following that principle of go after the thing I love. Damn, well, you've definitely inspired me. Thank you. You know, I I have been building businesses for the the bulk of my adult life. And when I see these messages from the universe, when I hear the whispers, uh, they still support my selfish pursuits, if you will. Yes. But they're always reminding me. You know what what lies beneath, and um, you made me question it. You know, it's like uh, purpose wise, is this is this building into that? Um, yeah. Thankfully, I'm doing a podcast about shit that I love. You know, Zen business. Yeah. Like how do we incorporate mindfulness into our uh, everything we do into our work life and, and to improve our business and our life with it? So, thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> It's, and it's been, so, it's been so cool to see, even just watching some of your episodes, I've seen the passion of you or listening to your episodes. I've seen and heard the passion of you just like infusing those two worlds because I, I think it's a part of both of, it's a part of you, both of those worlds are. And I think the intersection of them is really cool, right? The intersection of psychedelics and spirituality with business is is very unique and very cool. And there's not enough people speaking about that. There's kind of two different camps at the moment. So I, I, I see the vision so far and I love it. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I will be honest, I didn't see the vision myself at first. It took shape as I started to do it and question, hey, what do I want to share on today? What have I been learning? You know, that's like one of the core questions I ask myself. What have I been learning that I can share that will have an impact? And um, you know, there's uh there's been a weird learning through my spiritual journeys around some of the pitfalls of capitalism as much look, dude, I'm all American as they come. I love business. <laughs> I love money. I love capitalism, but yeah. it is a, uh, it's an endless pursuit and doesn't sure. really have like an end point. So the only way to really control that from, I wanted to ask you about this. Have you read the book economic Hitman? No, you know what? I, I, I spark noted it in uh, high school. I was supposed to read it and I only read parts of it, but I, I, I oh know my God, dude, that, book will, that will change your whole perspective, especially on the Amazon. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they log and it's, uh, yeah, destroy whole populations and then blame yes. it on like terrorism or whatever. Anyway. Um, so the reason I shared this is because when we are approaching business with a Zen perspective, we, uh, set boundaries for ourselves along the way. And so we don't become that corporate greed. We don't become that. And mm -hmm. so it can work in balance of productivity and, and, uh, and capitalism and, with mindfulness, empathy, consideration built into it. And so mm -hmm. that, that's that's kind of even in this conversation taking a lot of shape for me. So yeah, I just appreciate that acknowledgement because people like you are are helping share this message and especially around masculinity and stuff, which I guess leads me to my last question. Uh, should they free Todd G? <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's funny. I think... Um... I'll talk a little bit about Andrew Tate because I have a lot of people who ask me about him. Um, I think a lot of his message and what he's sharing for the world is, is just real realities that a lot of people haven't wanted to look at and really face. And so ultimately, I think he's speaking more truth than he is lies. And, and I think his message is, is good for the world in that. Um, would I want my sister to date him? No. Right. Like I, I wouldn't want that to happen. Do I think he's scared of real intimacy and real re relationship? For sure. I think he's running from it. And I've been that guy and I have a lot of friends who are that guy. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately he, he advocates for free speech. He says what's uncomfortable to hear. And I always, I'm always for that. I want to hear the other side. I want to be made to feel uncomfortable. I want to hear, uh, his point of views that I agree with and the points that I don't agree with as well. So yeah, I would say. I want him freed and I think it would be free top G uh, free top G. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, no matter where you sit, and this is where I just think politics are a, a useless game because no matter where you sit on the spectrum, you want there to be the ability to share freely, even if you don't agree with it. Right. 
Yes. Like, same thing. Like, I don't, would I want my sister dating this guy? Absolutely not. Do I think he's speaking some truth? Absolutely. And that's why you're making people, he's making people uncomfortable, which is why it's stirring up emotion and causing cancel, right? It's a, they're essentially canceling him in so many ways. And it's just like people trying to cancel Joe Rogan and the, uh, I would say the CNN super fans and the people who really tried to put Joe Rogan under CNN, I think has like 200,000 viewers per episode. And Joe Rogan has like, what is it like a hundred million or something crazy like that? Like just galaxies different. Yes. And so, you know, it's, it's a chihuahua barking at a a big dog. Um, But sometimes the big dog backs down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree completely. I think there's, you know, there's a smaller, more angry and more vocal mob. And I think it's a part of our our journey, especially as just more awakened people that are becoming more and more awakened in our own journey of self-actualization is to is to speak up for that truth. And even if the truth is against some of the things that we believe to defend people's ability to speak their truth, ultimately I think it's so important too, because you know, I'll go off on a little side, side tangent with you, and I want to get your perspective on this as well. But self-love, I think, is the ability for us to be able to freely express ourselves on our journey. And I know some of the views I had five years ago, I do not have today. But I'm glad I had the freedom to be able to speak them with all of that conviction that I had at that time, because that conviction and some of that wrongness that I had at that moment has now led to me getting to where I am today. But it was the freedom of expressions, the freedom of exploration of my own uh, love and creativity and what I wanted to share that that led to that. And so I think it's cancel culture removes actually a big element of self-love for people that they don't even realize. Yeah, I think it plays nicely into the concept of masculinity. Like self-love is respecting your own boundaries. So yes. when people are trying to cancel you, standing up for yourself or somebody else being canceled is a moral obligation of a man who wants to be self-actualized, right? To be in his masculine, it's his duty to stand up for himself and to stand up for others. For sure. So that's that's one component of it. And secondly, um, society can't mature if communication is stifled, right? Mm-hmm. We don't proceed if there's like limits, like uh, Cuba, perfect example, right? Like they're literally still living in the 50s because there's that's- one body that determines what's true and what can be shared openly and i think that's where that that's where that path leads you know so i I just find it interesting that you that you mentioned that but um again i think every day we should be asking ourselves um how can i stand up for my own boundaries and how can i stand up for other people's boundaries as a man who who wants to be more and better of a man i love that i love that too and i love that second part i think that's such a that's such a key distinction of being a man is is how do I help defend those who can't defend themselves? How do I st- stand up for others and and not just about self? I think that's powerful. I agree completely. Yeah, and people should be protecting and defending those who are a victim of anything like cancel, right? Like anything like cancel culture, people should be standing up for those who are uh, being oppressed because you never know it, Alan could be the next one who's oppressed or canceled, right? Mm-hmm. And before you know it, the voices will be uh, shut down and, and, and snuffed out. So, and, and what I think is scary about that too, right, is like ultimately, if someone's a racist, I want to know they are. So I know to not interact with them. I know to not spend time with them. And, and how am I going to know that if, if no one expresses their views, right? It's it's in it's hidden in the closet. It's a skeleton in their closet. Or if people have the freedom to express their views, it's like, cool, I don't want to be a part of that. But if everyone is homogenized and everyone is the monocrop, it's all corn, right? Everyone speaks, thinks, and acts the same, that just goes against what nature is. Nature is not that way. Nature is diversity. And so there has to be diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, diversity of speech. And within that dialogue is the learning, is the beauty of humanity. And I think um, I think that scares me about cancel culture too, because it, it feels like it leads to more outrage and outbursts, which you see some of in the States with shootings and things like that. And so it's like, let's let those people have a voice. We don't have to agree with it. 
but let them have that voice, let them speak that out. We can then know how to either help them or to avoid them. But rather than just mu- muzzling them, I don't think that it, that works for anyone or any group. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like a painkiller that we take a little bit at a time, and eventually your heart stops, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know if you've heard anything about it, but I'm curious because I haven't done my homework on it. But apparently, Jordan Peterson is being canceled right now. Are you aware? Have you read up on yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that um, he has to go to like a re- rehabilitation center or he has to take a re- rehabilitation course on how to um, communicate uh, publicly. Oh. And if he doesn't, they'll take away his uh, his, his license to, to practice, um, I believe, psychology. So, um, so yeah, wow. he, uh, he needs to go to training. And if that doesn't sound like Nazi Germany, I don't know what does. <laughs> Wow, that's literally the first thing that came to mind for me was that sounds like he's going to the Ministry of Truth to learn what truth is and how to tell the truth. Exactly. Here's here's the truth. You need to learn this. There you go. It's, it's crazy, man. Wow. Well, it's up to people like me and you to keep speaking up. Um, yep. And and I, I really respect what you're doing. I think one day I'll end up on a similar path and I'm mm-hmm. really uh, working my purpose through communication and through people. Um, so definitely, you know, tilt my hat to that, um, tilt my hat to that. So I know you are a, a busy man. You got a lot of responsibilities, so I don't want to keep taking time away from you, but this has been a super, super entertaining conversation. And, um, I'd love to do it again at some point too, Alan. This is, this has been awesome, dude. I would too. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jonathan. This has been awesome.